0: After the last episode with Scott Merkin from MLb.com on socks in the basement you know I, I I listen to the interview as I'm as I'm giving it right as I'm talking to somebody I'm listening and then I listen to it again when I'm producing the show to get it ready to put out on the on the podcast feed and then every once in a while I'll actually go back and listen to it a third time when it's out there and I did that with Merck Because I had comments from not only like listeners who were sending things in, you know, through either the YouTube channel or at Soxandbasement.com or wherever, but also like dad called up, you know, I'm talking with friends about it. And everybody kind of had the same observation that a lot of the perceptions that you and I had, my friend, sitting here at the nine foot homemade oak bar about what Chris Getz was and what his goal was seemed backed up by what Merck was talking about in the interview. And I think I have a very clear picture now of not only what Chris Getz's intentions are, what they were getting to this point, what they are going forward, but like what kind of GM he is, at least at this point, early on in his career as a GM. Because it is very apparent to me, and, and I, I think Merck touched on it in the interview, I know we talked a little bit off the air as well, that the White Sox, there's a perception issue. Uh, there, there there, almost needs to be a rebranding of the team, not to the fan base, but to players around Major League Baseball. That players around Major League Baseball, mainly pitchers, had a bad opinion about how pitchers fare with the White Sox. It has nothing to do with the dimensions of the field. It has to do with who's running the pitching program, who's making the decisions, who's doing the training, who's making the adjustments, who's developing them, and then also... Who's catching the ball behind them? Who's receiving the ball at the plate? And I think it's very clear there's a perception issue amongst players in Major League Baseball who look at the White Sox as kind of a mess, and they really don't want to come here. And all money being equal, no, I'll take the other offer. And if you're a pitcher, why would I come here and see my stats get inflated, my ERA go up, things not go well for me, because this isn't going to be my last stop. And you're not paying me enough to look bad when I come out of this White Sox organization. So he had to go and make changes. He had to make changes within, first of all. He had to clear people out. Yes, he went with familiarity. Yes, we got a lot of Royals. Yeah, we got a lot of people that he knows. But he brought in people he trusted, and he jettisoned a lot of other people behind the scenes. And then he went right after the defense, and he fixed it right up the middle. The hitting isn't very good with those at those positions, but he fixed the defense so that he could take care of one of the major concerns that were being expressed to him. Now I look at where he's at, even though Merck said, look, you don't don't just go into spring training not knowing who's going to win it. I get that. I think all the starting positions are pretty much locked in. But I think there's a very real possibility that your entire bench and three or four of your relief pitchers could all be non-roster invitees. Oh, easily. There's a real chance. I mean, we touched at the end of the interview, Ed, on whether or not Gavin Sheets had a job for sure. And then Mike Moustakas gets signed, same day of release of that podcast, to the White Sox. And you look at him as a left-handed hitter who has a higher OPS last year than Gavin Sheets. He may be older, but Gavin Sheets better watch out because I don't think he has a spot in right field because defense is the key to this team. And they have defensive outfielders now lined up, especially after Dominic Fletcher was added in that kid from Seattle. And then... what are you going to do? You're going to keep him around to be a left-handed bat off the bench who didn't even have a 600 OPS last year, and all he can do is stand at first if you're not going to use him in right, and he's a defensive liability in the outfield, or are you going to take a guy like Moustakas who, while he's older, can do multiple positions in a pinch and hit better than him last year? So I, I think as I look at this, I see a general manager who has no attachment to these players because he didn't put them on the team, knows enough about them because he was in the organization, So he's not an outside guy giving him extra time, extra space. I got to see how this guy works out. I don't want to have a snap judgment. No, he can make judgments because he knows enough about them. And he has no qualms about kicking another guy off the 40-man roster. This thing is far from set. I think a lot of NRIs, non-roster invitees, are making this team if they go out and they perform in spring.
1: I don't know why anybody would want Gavin Sheets on the team anyway. And that's nothing against, you know, Gavin Sheets is talent or pedigree or whatever but he's established himself as a major leaguer and he's not a very good one. I'm sorry, he just he doesn't hit for enough power, he doesn't hit enough home runs. He's not good defensively anywhere and uh, you know, he doesn't have a particularly high batting average or on-base percentage. He can't run. So what does he do? I you know, what is it you do here, Gavin? And you know, again, if he makes the team and he goes out and he plays well and he does it great, but if he doesn't, yeah, move on. You got to move on from guys like that. You can't sit there and hold out hope that he's going to be a 40 home run guy cuz he's not. OK, and Mike Mustakis can play third. Mike Mustakis can play first. He can play a little second base. He's a left-handed batter. He's a veteran. He can pinch hit. He can do whatever. He'll do whatever he, he can to make a roster at this point. And it's going back to the idea of surrounding talent with hunger. Mustakis has got a little bit of hunger to him now because non-roster invitee status for multiple-time All-Star, that's, that's an end-of-career thing, right? That's a, that's, a, that's a sign
0: for you. And speaking of signs, there's a big giant sign right now saying, hey, Get in here and register for free for a trip to Hawaii. It's Cork and Carry at the Park, the original location as well in Beverly, and Kona Brewing, all waving the sign in your face. No purchase necessary. Kona drafts are $5, though, right now at both locations. And you register for free 33rd and Princeton at Cork and Carry at the Park or the original location at 106th and Western. See more at CorkandCarry.com.
1: But getting back to what, you got, you know, what, what you're talking about with the pitching and – and the perception around the league. Dylan Cease is a prime example of this, I think. If you've ever stood on a mound as a pitcher, okay, and did not have the confidence that the guys behind you were going to be capable of making a play, when you go and throw a pitch, okay, if you're going to go up and in on a right handed batter and you're willing to induce a fly ball, but you're not sure anybody in the outfield behind Lewis Robert Jr. is able to catch the ball. You have to make that pitch perfect, and you got to throw it as hard as you can. you got to have the spin rate. you got to have the whole thing to get that guy to swing and miss. If you're going to throw a change-up or a slider down and away to a right-handed batter, that thing has got to fool them to the point where they miss. The velocity's got to be right. The spin's got to be right. The break has got to be right. It's got to start over the outside corner, and it's got to break away so that they swing and miss if you have no confidence that the guys behind you can field the ball. But if you're willing to give up a ground ball in that situation— Okay, go for the swing and miss, but are willing to give up weak contact. That is a comforting thing as a pitcher because you're okay getting an out. You just want the outs. You just don't want guys on base. You don't want your numbers inflated, like you said. You don't want a high whip, okay? And you don't want to necessarily have to sit there and say, okay, I can only go five innings because I threw 105 pitches because I had to be perfect, okay? Dylan Cease would be able to relax, if he felt confident with the defense behind him. If he does that, and if the defense doesn't let him down, he could rebound to that Cy Young runner-up type of season. Okay, Eric Fetty is going to need guys to catch the ball behind him because he's he's dealing with a sweeper and a split change he's never really used in the major leagues before. So he'll get some guys out with a strikeout with those because it's new. But once they adjust and once they adapt, it's going to be weak contact, and he's going to need a Paul DeYoung at shortstop. He's going to need a Nicky Lopez at second base. He can't have Gavin Sheets stonehand things at first. He cannot have a guy who is a converted outfielder. He can't have, you know, bad defense behind him. So, yeah, it is a perception shift, and it's not just about, you know, can I win here? It's about can I come here and have – the type of season I want to have, can I do the things I want to do on the mound? Because if I'm not going to strike everybody out, if I'm not Randy Johnson and very few guys are going to strike out every batter that they could possibly face, they need a good solid defense and a good solid team behind them. And that's where the perception changes. Because what was this team's perception before under Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn? They had become a perceived team of... Lazy guys who were interested in hitting, but didn't field the ball well, were miscast out in the field, and were basically sloppy.
0: If you're looking for exterior windows, doors, patio doors, and or storm doors, look no further than Window and Door Superstore of Oak Forest, where there are no high-pressure sales pitches. They're not showing up in your house, throwing their feet up on your kitchen table, leaning back and telling you, here's the offer, and if you take it right now, it won't go up when I walk out the door. You don't want to deal with that. You don't want to look at pictures in a book. You want to go into a showroom. You want to see it all in person. You want the owner on site if you have any questions. You want the owner over at your place during the install if you have questions. That's what you're getting at Window and Door Superstore of Oak Forest. Stop it and see a place that doesn't farm out the work, always has its own installers. They've been doing it that way since 1985 in Oak Forest, and all major brands are custom made with no stock items for a perfect fit. They're a half block east of 159th and Ridgeland at 6280 159th Street. See more at windowdooroakforest.com. I'm only 46 years old, but I sometimes feel like an old man yelling at a cloud when I look at when I look at a pitching staff where the Don't starters on me. Right, where the starters will go 4 innings or 4 and 2 thirds or maybe get into the 5th and they're coming off the mound with over 100 pitches and Benetti or whoever's on on the mic, you know, now won't be Benetti, but I mean like last year or over the last couple of years, somebody's going, "What a great game." And I would be yelling at my TV or my radio going, "No, it's not. It's not a great game." A quality start, that's an actual stat in baseball. Most, yeah. of you, most of you know that. Six innings, three runs or less. Six innings completed with three or less earned runs. And I'll be honest with you, it's still a stat that should matter if you're evaluating pitchers. And, and the White Sox couldn't do that. And the reason the White Sox couldn't do that is because they had terrible defense. Tim Anderson was a bad defensive shortstop. No matter how much you liked him, you liked his swagger. No matter how much you liked him at the top of your order, and when he was hitting, he was great. He made up for it. But you could not let the ball go into play with this team. And so what it did is it taxed your rotation and it taxed your bullpen. The team was too reliant on OPS. The team was too reliant on offensive numbers only and disregarding the defensive numbers and the ability to actually play the game of baseball that, it started to affect your pitching staff, and then also affects your bullpen that gets overtaxed because they got to come in there early. Yeah, you know, I wonder what Dylan Cease will be like, and it'll be it'll be interesting. Like if he actually makes it through spring training, and the Orioles continue to be fools—two guys in their rotation that are injured—and they're still they're still not like giving the White Sox what they're asking
1: for? Right, yeah. Ky- Kyle Bradish starts the playoffs for them last year, and he's got a UCL sprain. He's not He, he I guarantee you, will not end up pitching this year.
0: I, and, and they're sitting there, their general manager is like, oh, we expect him back. You do? What, you, do you have some kind of witchcraft over there that we're not aware of? Like, probably not going to be that effective for you this
1: year. Yeah, you know who else came back last year after feeling a little bit of a twitch in his UCL and then pitched a few games and then is currently... Weighing his options, to Liam Hendricks.
0: Yep. there there you go. They're going to continue to shoot themselves in the foot, the Orioles. It's gonna be it's gonna be fun to watch from the outside, knowing that they should have just made a deal to bring in a, a frontline starter and Dylan Cease, and they should have just overloaded oh, on pitching, and they should have been going for it because after years and years of being bad, they shouldn't be ge- becoming like prospect huggers that won't won't give up a couple of guys when you don't know if a prospect's going to pan out or not. It's gonna be fascinating to watch them fall short because they didn't make a deal but if if they don't come to their senses and ceases is pitching for the White Sox this year it'll be really interesting to see if Brian Bannister Ethan Katz the rest of the brain trust convince and get him to put into practice the idea of pitching the contact from time to time saving his pitches and getting deeper into games I think he's capable of it because I remember we talked about that not at the end of last year but the end of the year previously where Cease was pitching the contact more, and, and, and we, actually, we actually used a guy that was on this show just recently who found it first. Scott White of CBS Fantasy Sports was talking about how Cease's fantasy value was dropping slightly because he wasn't striking out as many guys because he was pitching the contact. I think he's fully capable of doing it, and if you get a Dylan Cease that's going into the seventh and eighth inning who can rear back and throw something nasty when he needs to end in it back, but also isn't afraid to let the ball get into play. For everybody that's worried that he's going to fall on his face and the socks are going to lose trade value, he he may increase it if he figures that out. And that's going to be, that's a storyline that we haven't really approached because we're all just waiting for him to get traded. I mean, Chuck Garfines uh, interviewing him on camera I saw this week asking him point blank and sticking his microphone right in his face about how he feels about whether or not he's going to be traded. If Chucky's doing it, it's still a real possibility, folks. Oh, it is. But it'd be, it'd it be it'll be interesting to see if he actually does get the pitch and he knows he has a defense. Will you see him go deeper in the games and be far more effective? Will that actually raise the asking price for him? He may, wa- he may not want to leave. You know, when he's sitting there looking at what his value is right now and looking at Blake Snell and what's happening to him, there could already have been a meeting between him and Boris Corporation. And they're sitting there saying, well, it'd be great if we could get you deeper into the games, Dylan, because that seems to be the knock on Blake. And you guys are pretty comparable and look at what he's going through. He may not want to leave right away. Maybe may be looking at this defense licking his lips, saying, "Ooh, I can actually go and do what I was doing towards the end of the twenty twenty two season, where I was going deeper in the games because now I can trust the guys behind me." That's something to watch,
1: right? And, and you know, when you're talking about pitching the contact, I think some people have this this idea that what you're doing is is you're you're serving it up more down the middle of the plate, or you're you're serving it up over the plate and letting guys take a hack. And what you're talking about, that's not it. Okay, that's that's it's really more about letting your pitches work around the edges of the zone as opposed to trying to get guys to to chase outside the zone. That's what I was talking about earlier when I say you're trying to throw a slider low and away to a guy and you have to have the, you know, it has to start out over the outside and spin out and you have to have the right velocity and the right spin rate and all that stuff to get that guy to chase and miss versus sitting there saying, okay, I can start my slider over the outer third as opposed to the outside corner. And if it, stays close enough in the zone for the guy to cue it to second base, Nicky Lopez will suck that up and get it over to first, okay? Andrew Vaughn's not bad over at first. He'll, he's got decent hands. He'll he'll be able to get to a ball and, and, and field it. And really for Cease and a guy who's a fly ball pitcher, the, it's very easy. Watch him last year, okay? Watch as he starts to get frustrated and overthrow as he gets to two strikes. And, I mean, he is putting mustard on that fastball, and trying to get it, and it's going anywhere. Okay, and he, you could see the way he'd recoil after he'd throw, or he would he would throw the heck out of the slider or out of a curveball, trying to get guys to chase. Because what were guys doing with two strikes? They were trying to lift the ball in the right field. Why? Because Andrew Vaughn and Gavin Sheets are out there, and there's at least a like fifty to sixty percent chance they're going to botch the play. They're not going to get to it because they're not fast enough to be an outfielder, or if they do get to it. They're going to have to dive or slide where Dominic Fletcher is going to be able to run underneath it. Zach Deloach is going to be able to run underneath it. Kevin Pilar is going to be able to run underneath it. Even Aloy Jimenez probably would have been able to run underneath it, to be honest with you. But they're they're just picking on the weak parts of the defense. okay? And as Tim Anderson got more flustered last year and became worse and worse in the field, it was obvious what guys were trying to do. If they got to two strikes or if they were in a situation, for example, with the infield in— Pick on Tim Anderson. You don't think these professional hitters can can steer the ball a little bit and decide that they're going to roll one towards short or they're going to try and pop one into right field. Oh man, well, I can.
0: watch I watch guys do that in 16 inch softball in a church league. So I'm sure professional baseball players could do that.
1: Yeah. So that's what they're that's what you're doing is you're shoring up the defense and you're sitting here saying, look, okay, a, a fly ball pitcher, other than the fact that 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 your home park is going to be a little bit of a launching pad a fly ball pitcher, a guy that's going to give up weak contact, a lot of pop-ups, a lot of a lot of weak fly balls into the outfield right now or even guys that are going to give up stuff that might hit the gaps. Do you feel a lot better coming to a team that right now is pretty much looking at Andrew Benintendi, Luis Robert Jr. and Dominic Fletcher in all likelihood as your starting outfield for the next few years, okay? Coming into the 25 season, do you want to sign a contract and sit there and go I can trust that those guys are going to run down most everything, as long as I don't give up line drives and as long as it's not going off the wall or over the fence. I got a pretty good chance of getting away with it, or a ground ball pitcher coming to this team and sitting there going, even this year, you know, why did Eric Fetty sign? Because he's going to be a ground ball pitcher. Okay, that's what Logan Webb is, and that's who he's, you know, that's who Brian Bannister saw Eric Fetty become is Logan Webb of the Giants.
0: Never forget, Bannister made the comparison himself. He actually tweeted about it after the signing of Fetty, about him being so similar to Logan Webb, who is, is is an ace. That's a that's an ace pitcher out there, and and he's he's looking at it like, watch out for this guy. I mean, like it's so interesting. Like Bannister is comparing him to Logan Webb. Uh, Scott White was in here saying like this is one of those guys that is flying on the radar. Nobody thinks he's gonna like nobody knows what he is. But this is not the same guy that left to go to the KBO. This is a completely different dude that does completely different things right now. Mechanics
1: are different. Pitch mix is different. Pitches. Is- are different in general and
0: he's with a guy in banister
1: who specializes
0: in taking care of guys just like it. like i mean like you know i don't want to hype him up too much right like i i might dad like was mentioning me to his next door neighbor listens to the show and he was like he's really fired up about dominic fletcher after listening to your show i don't want to overhype people right like dominic fletcher might come out and not do that well i don't he know how. He, i don't know how he's going to do against left-handed pitching you may see kevin pilar out there a lot of times, like he's going to get spelled. By, by
1: the way, Kevin Plar can catch the catch the ball. If nothing he can else. catch
0: the ball, and he's he's been very good even last year uh, hitting against lefties. And so you you might see him get spelled. I don't know if it'll be a straight platoon because I don't think you want to. I don't think you want to take a young player and basically say you're never going to hit against lefties. But when he takes his days off, it'll be against lefties. Or Pedro should be fired. I think it's so obvious, it's not even funny. And I don't want to. I don't want to hype these guys up, but I'm seeing the potential. Not to for them to walk in like it's the it's like the movie major league, where they're just gonna go on a crazy run and win it all, right? Like, like we're not gonna see that happen.
1: Well, you know, if they fired Pedro and hired the guy that sold me my tires last week.
0: <laughs> I mean, like, like I'm not saying that's gonna happen. But I do believe, and I think again, we'll go back to what Merck was talking about, I do believe that Chris Getz expects this team to play baseball at a level much higher than 100 lost teeth. When you combine State Farm Home and Auto Insurance, you save an average of $889. And State Farm Agent John Harrell is ready to help you combine home and auto to save in Chicagoland. Call him today at 708 481 4500 Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Average annual per household savings based on a 2019 national survey by State Farm of new policyholders who reported savings by switching to State Farm. He's the perfect general manager for the position that he's in. Again, not the guy that I wanted to have him hire, but when you take a step back and you look at what he's done, you look at a guy who, unlike a general manager like who's continuing what the last guys did. And he's clearly not doing that because he made so many changes behind the scenes. It's clear that he was the guy that was in the room who was in charge of the minor leagues and didn't agree with the people that were making the final decisions and was like, I could do this better. And when there was going to be turnover and when they were considering getting rid of the front office, or maybe right after they got rid of the front office, at some point he went and found the old man and told him, I know how I would do this because I've been watching this for years. And there's a lot of garbage here that I want to clean up. And he's shown that. So I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt on that. But you know what he has that that you wouldn't see if a guy was continuing things. That guy would still be loyal. He would still be like, "Well, you know, we drafted this guy and I care about him and I know him. He's not acting that way." And he's also not a guy who's coming in from the outside who's like, "Well, I don't really know these people, so I got to rely on the people that do know them and I don't want to make a snap decision to get rid of somebody." No, 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 no. He knows what he has. That's why I don't think he's going to have a problem. Bouncing guys off the forty-man roster. I mean, you you look at you look at the White Sox forty-man roster right now. There are guys on that roster that Rick Hahn dealt for as early as July. I don't know if they make it through spring training. Just because they're young and they were a prospect that he traded for, Chris Getz does not need to keep that guy because he didn't make the deal. Just because you were on the forty-man roster and you, like it, I think that the 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 shoemake. And Lenin Sosa thing, both of them on the forty-man roster, and Jose Rodriguez. At least one of them is going to be leaving this team, if not two of them. One of them it was acquired in the five-player deal, but you can easily sit there and say, "Well, I got the other four, and I'm not tied to this guy." That would like I gave up a relief pitcher and Aaron Bummer. One of them was somebody who the organization loved and thought like I mean like if you look at it. They're not his guys or they're guys that are easily expendable. If he gets enough out of a non-roster invitee and he's got to bounce another guy off to 40, he's going to do it. And I think that's, that's what I've always wanted out of a general manager. I don't know if he stays that way because three years from now, he may be emotionally tied to guys that he brought in himself. Right? Like every other general manager is. But right now he's in this golden era where he doesn't feel anything for anybody in there. He just wants to make the team better.
1: Yeah, and, and what you're saying, the Shoemaker, Sosa, and Rodriguez thing is, is actually a nice little case study, isn't it? Because what are each one of those guys going to have to show, right? They're going to have to show that they can field a position, at least one infield position, right? And, and field it well. They are going to have to show something at the plate too, right? They're going to have to show that they're at least capable of offensive contribution to a major league team. But it's more going to be about are you able to field your position? Are you going to be an idiot on the base paths, right? You don't want stupidity out there. And are you going to play the game the right way? So I think it it, it feels like, cause it, that's what do you got to do to beat Nicky Lopez? Well, you got to feel the ball better than him and you got to be able to hit better than him. And you got to be a professional baseball player, which, you know, Nicky Lopez has been in the majors for a few years now. So you got to be, you got to be able to take out a guy that's, that's been around. And If Shoemake can't hit, which that's, I think, his big question, if he can't hit at all, you know, he might be just a guy that sticks sticks around in the minors' depth. You know, go out there and play second or go out there and play short. We just need somebody to catch the ball because we have to field a team here in Charlotte. You know, or if, you know, Rodriguez, who is kind of an all-around guy, uh, you know, shows that he's not fielding very well, but he's hitting, or Lenin Sosa shows that he can hit, but he can't field anything – I could see him moving on from Sosa and sitting there going, you know, hey, he's got a great bat, but I don't want him in my infield, so I'm gonna I'm gonna get rid of him. He's gonna have to get rid of some of these guys. I mean, his outfielders on his
0: 40 man roster right now are Ben Benintendi, Fletcher, and Robert Jr., who I all expect I expect to be there. He's not bouncing uh, Zach Deloche, who he just brought in in that trade out of there, and I don't think he's given up on Oscar Colas. So the only other outfielder that's sitting there because I consider Aloya Menez to be exclusively a designated hitter is Gavin Sheets. Right. And we're talking about Pilar not only being somebody you're thinking about putting in the outfield, but Moustakis being somebody who outperforms Sheets as a left handed hitter coming off of the bench. And then you have Shoemaker and Rodriguez and Sosa as probably the guys that are on the chopping block as infielders because you're not moving on from DeYoung or Lopez or Mancada. You're not moving on from Brian Ramos. You're not moving on from Andrew Vaughn off of the 40 man roster. So those are guys who need to be worried. And then let's be honest, you acquired Corey Lee, but it wasn't it wasn't. Chris gets who acquired Corey Lee, right? Right. And you're, you're going to go with Maldonado and Stassi. So, like, what, <laughs> what does this guy have a place when you already know that Edgar Caro is going to be the guy that you're really waiting for? If you just see Lee as a defensive guy who wasn't good enough for you to not go out and add two veteran catchers? There's so much going on here. There's names that are going to get jettisoned off this team that I think if you were looking at it as, well, this general manager is the same general manager as last year, you'd be like, well, he's never going to get rid of that guy. He's got too much invested in him. But Chris Getz is not invested in them. Once again, on the phone line with us, we have the Sox nerd, Dave Marin. When you go to a ball game this year and you look up at the scoreboard, all those tidbits and nuggets and trivia things are coming from Dave. And he's brought to you by the Village of Lamont. Want to experience a downtown real history, great eats and drinks, and green spaces filled with adventure? Visit the Village of Lamont. Shop, dine, drink, explore, and see everything they have going on this weekend and beyond at lamontdowntown.com. Nerd, what do you have for me this week?
2: Well, 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 look at who is in camp with the White Sox, our old nemesis, Mike Moustakis. While this isn't exactly Dennis Rodman or John Starks joining the Bulls or Bob Probert joining the Blackhawks, Moustakis was a big part of those royal teams that terrorized the White Sox in the middle part of the last decade. Mike Moustakis in a Sox uniform will take some getting used to should he come north with the club. If he does make the roster, Moustakis will join Bill Skowron, Walt Dropo, and George Earnshaw as players nicknamed Moose to play on the south side. Here are a few more nuggets on Mustakas. While we remember him as part of that Royal Wrecking Crew, Mustakas does not have a strong track record as a visitor to guaranteed rate field. In 57 games at the rate, Mustakas is hitting .237 with a 301 on base percentage and a 434 slugging percentage thanks to 10 home runs. He did have one monster year at 35th and Shields, hitting 419 in 2014, which is the ninth highest output in the park among players with at least 35 plate appearances in a season. Moustakis hit 12 home runs last season, four with the Rockies and eight with the Angels. Those 12 dingers were two more than the Sox left-handed leader Gavin Sheets hit and seven more than Andrew Benintendi collected. By my count, at age 35, he is tied for the second-oldest player in Sox camp behind 37-year-old catcher Martin Maldonado. Fellow non-roster invitee Kevin Pillar, an outfielder, is also 35. The man has worn four numbers in his 13-year career, and two of those, 9 and 11, have been retired by the Sox. So if he wants to stick with the number he's worn, it probably will be 18. 18, by the way, is one of the most nondescript numbers in Sox history. The top players to wear that jersey are Pat Kelly and Bullfrog Dietrich of Christmas Story fame. One more, Moustakas was the second overall selection of the June 2007 draft. The only other number two pick to play for the Sox was catcher Ben Davis, who was drafted by Seattle in 1995 and played for the Sox in 2004. There have been seven players drafted higher than two to play for the Sox. Among them are Baines, Griffey, and Blomberg. My zinger... Let's peek ahead to opening day, shall we? Eloy Jimenez is on track to make his second consecutive opening day start at designated here for the White Sox. It has been a decade since the Sox have last had the same opening day, DH, and back-to-back seasons. The last player to do that was Adam Dunn. That's it, Chris. More than you probably wanted to know about Moose, Bullfrog, Ben Davis, and especially Adam Dunn. SOX IN THE BASEMENT